This is Cockatrice Nuggets with Rich Frazier, serving you up a heaping helping of RPG nuggets straight to your gaming table. So last night we played D&D. Yeah, we played some D&D. The question was, you met someone in your travels who has now become a true friend. How'd this happen? So Miles said, before all this hell stuff, Miles met a few people who worshipped the Blue Lady like himself, and he spent many months with them in their sanctum. He wonders at night if they are still alright after being harassed. Blue Lady. I need to work on the Blue Lady. I got this. This right here. Lesser key to the Celestial Legion. What this is, is it's basically like it's compatible with DCC, so it's got that kind of flavor. And let's see here. Have you ever wanted to add weird religious elements to your game? Have you ever wanted to add strange heralds of the gods who appear dramatically to add to guide and boss your PCs around. Have you ever wished for more gods than presented in other books, wanted to create your own, or just added a little floors to the gods you already know? This book can help with all that and more. Who wrote this? Do, 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 Stroud. Don Stroud and James Bazenel Jr.? I don't know. Oh, Craig Brasco did some art in here. Those are, that's a name I know. Anyway, I actually won this book from Jason Hobbs. He did a calling contest for I don't know, a show, but it was like his 100th show. I don't, I want to say his 100th show, but it wasn't his 100th show. Maybe it was his 100th screed. I don't know. Anyways, Hobbs and Friends is a great show. If you're not watching that uh, or listening to it, he uh, does great interviews. And uh, he's got a great editor, I hear. Anyway, so lesser key to the Celestial Legion. I've been meaning to drop the Blue Lady in there, or pull the Blue Lady out of there, actually. Get her a little crazy and, yeah, a little spicy. All right, he wonders at night if they are still all right. And then after being harassed in chat by the other members of the party, one of the worshippers of the Blue Lady was an elven woman named Lilith Evermore, and Miles and her grew to be friends over the months for their shared love for the Blue Lady. He was sadly taken from the sanctum to help the door kickers in the Nine Hells. He wonders if she's okay. Is she? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's something that we can explore. Yes, something we can explore. I there was mention of the next the next thing to do, and it seemed like they were heading towards a Sarak instead of Gazra, which is fine. I don't I don't I don't care who the main villain is. They believe they're going to need Gazra's help for Gazra's help for finding a Sarak. So they are pushing forward to a Sarak first, which is fine. I don't mind. Either way they want to go. I was hoping for a Sarak as the level 20 bad guy, but you know, whatever. Gosra's Gosra's pretty beefy. So I'm I, I'm gonna have to bump up the schedule on Sarak a little more. Lost it. Uh, the easy answer would be Toes, but we shall speak for a fair Helia Durage Durage. Lawson met her in the clerk's district of Sigil. He was looking for some help, a foot in the door to, to the inner workings of the city. To this end, he was drowning in the bureaucratic ale, interrogating him interrogating him as he got drunker. Helia watched in amusement, giggling as the poor bureaucrat slowly became incoherent. After Lawson put him back in his seat for the second time, she came over and offered answers to Lawson's every question in exchange for letting the poor man get taken home. While they haven't known each other long, they share similar humor and get along together and get together for a meal and trade stories. Okay, to this end, he was drowning the bureaucrat nail, interrogating him as he got drunker. Okay. 
Got it. So that's good. That's his contact. That's the last contact that he made. Roger. Tristan was very looking looking forward to seeing this guy. <laughs> Someone that Roger met in their travels who became a true friend is Pazel, the fugitive gift Yankee treasure hunter. Pazel just seemed like a green elf to Roger, but when other strange green elves came looking for him, Roger kept him hidden. Pazel loves riddles and word problems and has psionic abilities, and his utilitar utilitarian no-nonsense attitudes appeals to Roger and vice versa. Pazel wanders the plains under a number of assumed identities, using his psionic abilities to cloud the ocular cortexes of those around him. Only someone with true sight would know how to recognize him as he has traversed the as he traversed the major interplanar hotspots. Roger has true sight, so he would know. Some rando. Some rando has been a loner most of his life. Then he met a big bunch of ruffians in hell that gave him weapons and words of encouragement. He's not too sure how he feels about them, however. Some is happier these days after being introduced to a great friend. Did I miss something there? Some is happier these days after being introduced to a great friend. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it looks like that was the end of it. Dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Happier these days after being introduced to a great friend. I think he's talking about Whelm. Oh my god. Whelm. Yeah, forgot about that. I'm going to slowly turn him into a dwarf or something. That'd be kind of funny. Ark. On one of his outings with his aunt and uncle, there was an interesting wood elf, Melanie Camelwind, who by chance was playing music by the side of the road. She was on her way to the next settlement over and decided to tag along with us. This was at a time before my more promiscuous antics, and we hit it off nicely after a couple of nights sharing our life stories. They said that they were sort of they said they were sort of a nomad who roamed the lands playing their songs and spreading stories. What with everything that happened at home, I do hope she is doing well and not caught in the flood. Well, everybody's caught in the flood, so. You met someone in your travels. Hmm. I assume that was adventures. Sombra. Sombra has had a hard time making friends ever since he left Evermeet, but he's come to really appreciate the companionship of his fellow adventurers. Specifically, each person has their own unique way of affecting him, and he's most happy when he is around his companions, fighting, playing, and surviving. Lawson's roguish ways have influenced Sombra's to put away the spellbook and running into battles sword first. Roger's wit has made Sombra think harder and use his brain. Miles' love of religion has brought Sombra back to his youth and reminds him of his primary schooling. Ark's crazy wild magic has pushed Sombra to improve his own love of the mystical arts. Finally, some has been a welcome addition to our motley crew and Sombra appreciated, pre appreciates the hit first and ask questions later approach to problems. Alright, let's see here. So, the question out of the way, they arrived back from Sigil, no, from the City of Brass, and to the engineer, Doc Brown, saying that they had acquired a job to deliver some passengers to Sigil. And because of that, they could not use the plane shift ability to go to Sigil, because Sigil has a magical barrier around it. Barrier preventing magic? I don't know, something like that. Closer you get, the harder it is to cast spells which I did not take into account last night. That would have been very interesting if I would have had it happen on a border between two kinds of spells. Interesting. Something I'll have to look into later. So on the way, they were attacked. And I used a just kind of a quick sketch. I, I got a campaign cartographer in a, a humble bundle, I think. Something something like that from pro fantasy gaming i got the, like the whole thing and it's pretty cool it looks pretty powerful but i am not that powerful <laughs> it is very 
it's very wonky to me and it um it hurts my head sometimes when i'm trying to do stuff so like each thing i put down is an entity but if i stack entities on top of each other i can only select all of them or none of them which is annoying if i want to move one of them it's it's very odd i'm sure there's a way around it it's based off cad if anyone knows what that is computer aided drawing and this is like a drafting software used for like used by architects mostly from my knowledge i don't know to to sketch out buildings so it seems like a really cool piece of software and i only spent like 30 bucks i think for the the whole suite which was an amazing deal you know it might have been on humble bundle humble bundle maybe not humble bundle uh bundle of holding maybe maybe on bundle of holding where it might have been anyway so yeah, I started making the train with that and man, I just got overwhelmed and I was cussing at the computer and I was already having a bad computer day. So I just gave up and I just went to boxes. <laughs> so I made a bunch of rectangles and put names of the cars above them because really that's all I was looking to get anyway. It would have been fancy. Honestly, the, the more I think about it, the fancier it would have been the harder it would have been to run this combat abstractly because uh, everyone would have wanted to move. Everyone was already trying in the beginning to count squares. And I, I, I had to say to almost everyone in the first round that uh, it, we're not counting squares. This is abstract. This is totally abstract. This is not what we're looking for. Or this is not what you're looking at, right? because I was moving guys outside the car or inside the car. And they were like, this guy's on top? No, it just looks like he's on top because that's the top of the screen, right? That's, he he's alongside of the car. And it was, it was a hard combat to explain at times because there was a lot of confusion. I want to go for the guy outside. <laughs> and there were two guys outside, you know. I want to go for the genie. Well, they're all genies. <laughs> so there was a lot of little things in there that led to player confusion as well as DM confusion. But we got it all figured out. It was it was pretty fun and it was it was it was my train heist, you know. I've been waiting to do this ever since Lawson set this up. I've been waiting for excuse. The Gazrian ore was my excuse. They opened their mouth when they were trying to get apprentices and let Axum know that you know we've got this really rare ore that we want to work and Axum was like yeah sure okay but in the back of his mind he's going man Gazrian ore I've heard of that stuff it's rare I want to get my hands on that and make some jewelry or weapons or something so he wrestled up a gang of thieves and uh, sent them out to attack this train so i started out kind of uh like a western bar fight right i was in the tavern so i grabbed rando by by his shirt collars you know and tried to drag him along the bar that did not work it was i should have grabbed someone less strong <laughs> but it was it was it, it it started the the combat off the way i wanted to yes yes no rain in minecraft I don't mind it, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I'd rather not have it. That's why I build in deserts and mesas. Or savannas. Yes, savannas work too. So, I, I tried to keep the western themes in my attacks, but it was, it was more difficult than I thought it would be. I had forgotten a couple things that I wanted to add, but, but I 
I had TV tropes up in the background with the Western tropes listed, and I kind of glanced over once, maybe, <laughs> to look at them and remind me of what I wanted to do. The, the combat devolved into a D Dungeons & Dragons combat, which is what one would expect because we're playing Dungeons & Dragons. But I tried to pull that, that, that Wild West trope out of it. And I did my best, and what I should have done, what I was thinking of doing, was giving the characters inspiration every time they did a Wild West trope. And I just should have done that. I should have said that in the beginning, and it would have been a lot more Western, right? Looking back on it, it was, I mean, depending on how you describe the combat actions, right? It's, uh, it's as Western as I want to be. So the players are talking. They find out this is about the ore, or they assume it's about the ore. Something, something, something. The ore comes up. And I was like, hey, so, so where is the ore? And Lawson says, well, it's in the cargo car. I was like, what? The cargo car? That's not my plan. I didn't think it was in the cargo car. I honestly thought it was on Lawson in his bag of holding, so I was going to kidnap Lawson. <laughs> that, that was my angle. Boy, was I wrong. It was even easier. It was in the cargo car. So I got two guys standing in the cargo car as we're talking about this. So I'm thinking, oh, this is this is going to be this is going to be bad. <laughs> I'm going to get the ore. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. That's, that's not the way that this is supposed to go. This is supposed to be just a little just a little combat scene here. Just a little I'm attacking your base kind of thing. Which I was kind of mean and did it with Air Genie. So all their lightning stuff didn't work against them. But oh well. <laughs> it was fun anyway so i'm thinking oh my god i'm gonna get this ore and then i'm gonna they're gonna have to chase this ore down again which was not in the plans at all so i i just continued i was like okay so i'm getting the ore i'm spinning in the back of my head trying to figure out okay so i've got the ore they're gonna have to go and figure out how to get the ore that's fine okay so i've got that spinning and i'm trying to figure out how that's gonna work but the players pull it out and they get to the cargo car faster than I could have imagined. Lost and grabs Rando and Dimension Doors into the car, which is perfect. It was like exactly 500 feet to the range. And I was like, you can go like 500 feet. <laughs> and I was thinking Misty Step. That's why I was confused there. But yeah, Dimension Door, exactly 500 feet. The, the random number that I poked out of my head is exactly what it goes. So they get there and start harassing everybody. They, the genies try knock spell on the safe, first with a scroll and then with a wand, because I forgot that I wanted a knock wand there for the party if they defeated them. And I just thought it was cool to be a like, bang, you know, right? More of the Western stuff. Knock charges. That's what it should have been, right? Little, uh, little dynamite safe action. Ah, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Anyway, so they're trying to get this off and Roger comes up a counter spell. And whoa, I was like, okay, great. Now that's good, because I'm about to get this ore. <laughs> and then the, uh, the wand comes out and they get the arcane lock off, but they still need to get the lock off the safe door. And they were pretty much, they weren't defeated, I ran. The, the genies got down to about half health, I think. Two of them were killed, maybe. And then they got away. They did capture one of them. They captured one of the, the, the Janny, the, the lesser of the three that I, that I put them against. So after capturing him, they, they locked him up and uh, interrogated him. 
And the way I work interrogation, because I, I interrogation can devolve into a torture scene. And I, I don't like to role play out a torture scene, right? It's like role playing out a sex scene to me. It's not, it's not what I want to do. Not that I would handle a sex scene like this, but so what I have the players do is they roll their intimidation or whatever their persuasion or their, whatever the other charisma one is, however, they're going to interrogate whatever, whatever they feel they're going to do. So they, they choose intimidation and I give them a bonus for knowing his greatest fear, Roger's eye. And I, well, I was going to give them advantage for that. Roger's eye is killing me. I need a list of fears. I think I may have found a good one. I was, we were, we were showing off AI last night and I, I pulled up talk to transformer and was looking around and uh, found an alternative to talk to transformer. It's basically an AI where you feed it the beginning of a sentence or a paragraph and it finishes it out for you. And uh, the one I found was pretty cool. It, I put in my biggest fear is and let it roll and it it came up three out of five times with something good maybe two out of four something like that but good enough that i could click it quick and regenerate it if i didn't get what i wanted so all right so i was going to give them advantage for that but then they wanted to do good cop bad cop so i gave them advantage for that instead and right at the last moment i was like oh shit i wanted to give them a bonus for that i um so add plus two to the roll so they roll their charisma check versus my insight check is generally what I do. Sometimes it might be deception if I'm lying to them, which one time I did, I kept the kept the role secret or they missed it by so much and I gave them like three lies or something. I think I remember what that was. Hmm. I don't remember. Anyway, I had to find my notes from back then. I think I was keeping paper notes back then. Hmm. I wonder if I tossed those. I'll have to dig around later. Anyway, so charisma versus insight, right? The difference is how many questions I as the DM will answer truthfully. And this is truthfully coming from the DM, not truthfully coming from the character, right? Unless they miss it, then I'm going to lie. <laughs> now, I think maybe a good way to do that is, I don't know. I don't know how a good way to do that with open roles would be lying. Maybe, maybe I would say half of these are lies, right? You get five questions and half of these are lies. I think that's good. That might be good because that way they don't know which are lies and what they're, which are truths. Anyway, so they, they beat it incredibly, right? Because this guy is a monster and they are a adventuring party. They are, they are designed to roll high. We have a paladin who every time somebody says what they're actually he hasn't played in a while so i don't know if he's even coming back but every time someone says what their bonus is he he flips out and says how do you guys get these so high and he's stacked with feet so he's been missing out on asis and half the party is rogues so they have expertise and they plan this out pretty well so yes they have pretty high rolls so they rolled a 20 eight i think 28 or 30 versus my seven <laughs> this is 28 because they got 21 questions and i was like no they got 20 questions right because there was a 20 questions joke in there so 20 free questions i was like i'm not going to keep track of these you guys ask me as many questions as you want and i'm going to answer them because 20 is a lot and i don't think you're going to go through 20. 
So the questions they asked was, was anybody else told about the ore? And the guy said, not that I know of, no one outside the circle would be told of the ore. Is Axum protected? Yes, he's protected. He is one of the best blacksmiths on the, the, he is the best blacksmith in the city of Brass. He is the, he has a lot of friends in high places that will protect him. Who is his biggest rival? So I have to pull up a big rival. I did not give them a name, but I will give, they, they, I told them they will have that information because the name is irrelevant, right? It's, it's Jack the Blacksmith. It could have been anybody, any name, but I wanted to dig through the book and find somebody in the book so I can have some little extra background flavor and tie it into my City of the Brass book. Who is his lieutenant? Also something that I was like, okay, you have that information. What is his protection and guards like? I said, okay, that's also something that you have that information. They said, how did you know where the ore was? And Rafiq gave up his sending stone, which he was communicating to Axum with. And they, then they decided, they were like, hey, well, we can use the sending stone to, you know, fake a meet and try to try to get, you know, him to come to us. And uh, the guy was like, no, he, he won't come for me. Like, at the very least, he might send somebody out to get me. But no, he wouldn't come for me. He'd say lay low and then come tomorrow. Because they were going to say, since he can only plane shift once a day, I say he burned that already. And uh, the question, would you meet him somewhere? Uh, yes, we would just go back to, back to the blacksmith tent. So that is kind of where the session ended. It kind of devolved into talk about what their plans were for the future what their plans were about the apprentice. Sombra wanted to research somebody who was affected by Gazra and would, would, would want to get back at Gazra so they would give up blacksmithing. And I was like, you know, Sombra, he, this guy's been in the Blood Wars for millennia. Even if he has affected anybody, it would be super indirectly so that that, that family wouldn't even know, right? Because if you make a deal with the devil, you don't like tell your family about it. And if you do, you don't tell them the devil's name, I don't think. You might be like, hey, this guy. And he might be loosely connected to Gazra somehow. But trying to find a solid connection between Gazra and a mortal would be very difficult. There was question about if the the curse or the, 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 the blacksmith has to give up blacksmithing, basically. They cannot craft another weapon. So for a second, goodness, the, the blacksmith cannot craft another weapon. So there was talk about, well, is this tied to the soul or the body? And I was like, well, so let's see, let's put it this way. If, if they died and were resurrected or revived or something like that, then they still would not be able to make another weapon. Uh, so tied to the soul or the body. So the, I, I said, let's put it this way. If they were resurrected, revivified, something like that, uh, they would still not be able to blacksmith. And I said, in addition, if they were reincarnated, like their, their body was switched, it, they would not be able to blacksmith. I said, but after they passed and became petitioners of an outer plane, that would, that would separate them. Although they're, as a petitioner, you have very little interest in your, your past life, lives, whatever and you are content with staying where you are so at that point it would <laughs> i don't know i i don't know at, at that point though it would not be a concern of theirs because that guy's not going to be like oh i want to be a blacksmith again you know my soul is a blacksmith so i'm going to be a blacksmith and then there was talk of looking up a celestial blacksmith 
And uh, someone said, well, Celestials have been around for millennia, so I don't think there are any apprentice blacksmith. And I was like, yeah, well, Celestials are made concurrently, consistently. I, I still don't really know how to explain that. But every day, every day, there are new Celestials born. I think maybe I'll write up a little thing on that. I steal it from Diablo. I like the Celestial Arch from Diablo. So we talked a little bit about how petitioners could be promoted or Celestials are created. And that was an avenue that uh, they might explore. And uh, all these things are not what I planned at all, right? And I say that like I had a plan. <laughs> Usually I, I set up a situation, right? So I set up this situation. I said, okay, so these are the stipulations of the weapon that needs to be crafted. That's got to be crafted by a blacksmith because I want this weapon to look ugly as hell. I want it to be janky. I want it to be like a minus five sword, something like that. I want it hard to use. Two, I want that blacksmith never to craft again. Okay, I want this to be something that the blacksmith, like this puts the blacksmith out, right? This isn't just some guy who can who can work this ore. This is some guy who can work this ore and who's never gonna work ore again. I said weapon, players went around that. Well, we'll get back to that. And it has to be forged in elemental plane of fire. So those were my stipulations. I, I came up with a scenario in my head I was like, okay, so if I was going to do this, this is the way I would do it. And that's kind of the way that I put situations to the players. I, I set a situation up and then in, in my head, I think, okay, if I was going to do it, I'd do it this way. And then I let the players decide how they're going to do it. And it almost never works out the way I decide, right? Because I am one GM. They are five players or six players, 10 players, who knows, depending on the day, depending on the night six to seven players against me is it's nothing you know i'm nothing um i'm one mind i'm one idea and once somebody starts spouting ideas everybody else gets ideas based off those ideas and that just explodes so they come up with stuff that i never even thought of and and that's my dm style that's what i like i like to roll with whatever the players think i like to roll with you know i don't i don't like the stuck situation I don't, I don't want my players to have to find out the way to do something. I, I don't want my players to feel forced in a direction, right? Railroaded is a, a common term used in RPGs for this. I, I don't want my players to be like that, to be forced into that situation. Vacuum seems pretty loud. So yeah, I don't want to, I, I don't want to force my players into a situation. Although I do it quite often. <laughs> I put up road, roadblocks and channel them a certain direction. It is, it is not always, it's not my intent to force them down a situation, right? So I force them to give up Black Razor because I, I did it sneakily, you know? I, I put myself in the position of Grouser and said, okay, even though this guy's super powerful and he could just drop down and be like, give me the sword, they would try and fight him, right? So I put him through a maze. I drained their resources and then I threw them in front of this super powerful guy. And at the time I created them, if they would have been super creative and if they would have had all their resources, there was a slim chance some of them would make it out alive. Maybe even slaying Gazra. He was, he's CR 25, I think, which as they get higher, it means less and less. But basically it would mean he is the equivalent of a, of four, 25th level players 
which um, seems ridiculous, right? Why would you have something with such a high CR? I guess for six, you know, d and is supposed to be balanced around four party members. So I think that's why they do it because not everybody's going to play with four. But CR as it gets higher, it's just it's just janky, right? It doesn't it doesn't feel doesn't feel quite right. And I don't know I don't know how to solve that problem. I solve that problem by not using it. I use it as a guideline. I look at it and go, oh, these guys are probably a little too tough. Or I want some I want some hardcore guys, so let's go for higher CRs. Like when I picked these guys out, I wanted genies. So I went to a list of genies and looked at all the genies I had in my books. And I found three contenders. One was Jin, right, from Monster Manual. Another was a, a sand Jin from Tomo Beast. I don't remember what the name is. It's all something, Alagazra or something like that. And I modified that a bit. And then I had the Janny from City of Brass. So... I, I looked at these guys and I, when I picked them out, I was like, okay, so 7, 10, 11 are their, basically their, their, their CRs. 7, 10, and 11 are their CRs. So I, you know, decided that I would have four of the sevens as mooks and I would have two of the, the Alagarzi or whatever they are, gens from Toma Beasts, and I would have two gens from the Monster Manual. So that's two 11s, two 10s, and four 7s. I wonder, I wonder what that is. Roll20 calculated it for me and said it was a deadly encounter. I think Roll20 was only looking at, I don't know. Encounter Builder 5e. Cobalt Fight Club. All right. So for a party of six 15th level characters, Chest XP is 72,000. This is almost double the deadly encounter. This is more than three quarters of the daily budget. So 12,000 per player. It's crazy. But what about for 16? This is still, <laughs> still, I don't know the level two. This is still, you know, double almost a deadly encounter. And uh, they went pretty good, you know, I think. So the CR probably assumes that I'm not doing magic items, very many. It probably assumes, yeah, I, d I don't know what it assumes, you know. I wasn't there for the creation of it. I can look through the Dungeon Master's Guide and assess the CRs and say, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, these are, these are high, these are low. I know, like, Monster Manual is tuned a little lower. They like rounded down would be the best way to say that, I think. Tomo Beasts used the, the stuff right from the DMG when they were creating it for CRs. And they they were tuned high. They rounded up. I guess it'd be the opposite way, right? Monster Manual rounded up, so the higher CRs were less powerful. And Tomo Beasts rounded down, so the lower CRs were more powerful. Morgan Cannons was, again, rounded down. So the higher CRs were a little more formidable. So yeah, so CR means nothing. I don't know. I, I I don't I don't put my faith in CR, right? Because like I said, this would be a super deadly encounter by all rights that someone should have walked away. Someone should have died. That is what a deadly encounter means. It means that someone should have died, and especially at almost double the the experience rating, someone should have died. But hey, no one did. Because, I don't know, my players are min-maxed, or 
efficient. Let's call it efficient. My players are efficient. My char players' characters are efficient at what they do, or my players are tactically sound, or I am a shitty GM tactically. I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons it could be, but what it really is is the CR system just breaks down at higher numbers. It's it's a good guide. It's a good guide to say, okay, we've got a couple of these guys. We've got a couple of these guys. We've got a couple of these guys. So it's going to be a little difficult. I know Sly Flourish has a, a quick way to do it in your head. I don't remember what it is, though, because <laughs> it's still all based around the CR. So it is, it's irrelevant. Sly Flourish also says, put monsters there for the situation, not for the, the CR. So if they're if they're first level and they're going into a goblin camp don't make four goblins you know make 50 goblins because it's a goblin camp uh and that's what makes sense so play to the fiction not the system i guess i like that play to the fiction not to the system and with that little bit of wisdom i think that's all i'm going to talk about today so thanks for listening guys see you later that's all the nuggets we've got this week show notes available at slackthenerds.com Want to reach out? Send a voice message using the link in my show notes, the Anchor FM app or website, or email me at cockatriesnuggets at gmail.com. Check out my new streams on twitch.tv slash jerry247. As always, you can use my blog at Slacker Nerds to get links to my Patreon and all my other socials. Come join my new Discord server. Links in the show notes. This podcast is ranked via iTunes, so leave me a review and some stars there. Share with your friends or shout out from the rooftops. However you want to get the word out, it's great for me. Thanks for listening.